The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization podcast. This is your co-host turned host today, Keith Compagna. Wanted to say hello to everybody on Ira's behalf. Ira was out in the trenches visiting Las Vegas, speaking at the mother of all human resource shows, SHRM 2019. He won't be joining us today, but have no fear. Today we're going to have a great show. Joining me in a few minutes is Henry Fairfax and Noel Kellick. They're part of a team that's bringing revolution back to Philadelphia with the Revolution School. Henry's at the ready. Noel has just joined us. She just got off of the plane in San Francisco. This is the way podcasts get done in the year 2019, folks. For now, I want to take a little bit of time and bring everyone up to speed with what I and I have been doing and learning about this past week. I want to share with the listening audience about, um, we, if you've been following along, we've started the Geek Skeezers and Googleization podcast this past October. And it was a couple of weeks ago we found out that we have over 7,000 monthly listeners. We just got over 7,000 monthly, monthly listeners. So it looks like we've got a little something going on here with the Triple G podcast. And if I know Ira, he's already tracked down a whole bunch of thought leaders in Vegas lining up guests for future shows. As for me, I'm experiencing an amazing career transition since parting ways with Jobvite, our sponsor, on May 1st. And I'll explain a little bit here. If you've been listening to the podcast enough, you might have heard several themes or topics coming up consistently. Regardless of what it is that our guests have been doing with their professional careers, there's a common denominator in terms of how the very definition of work is becoming disrupted. And one of the most common challenges we all seem to agree on is how hard the future of work is going to be for executives within organizations and HR leaders working for them. And like any good story, there's got to be a bad guy. And the bad guy in our future of work story is the talent market. The recruitment world has changed dramatically. And in March, this hit several of the, the news wires but there are one million more open jobs now than there were people to work them. And to simply put it in terms, if you know I'm a sales guy, I don't like using big words, simply put, the power of the labor market has shifted from employers to you, the employees. And based on the idea that most leadership and management concepts were developed during a time when organizations can fire and hire capable people super fast, which is no longer the case, Every organization is being forced to work differently. And it's this redefinition of work that requires organizations to start paying attention to the people handling the day-to-day operations. And it's no secret that most companies inside of every industry are facing serious recruitment issues. Recruiters are passively recruiting already employed people inside of every business of all rank and file. It's simply put, this is what the people at Jobvite are trying to do, what they're trying to help with, with their software. 
They have a recruiting platform. It's end-to-end, and it enables their clients to give their recruiters tool to be much more aggressive in their way that they passively recruit. And this means that everyone else's recruitment challenge is your retention challenge. And so you better start paying attention to your employees' needs because if they don't like how you treat them, and now is the time in our history where employees are finding that they could rediscover themselves and change jobs. So what's keeping HR from putting human resources back into HR? Well, if you caught up to last week's podcast, you've heard Cyrus and Megan talk to us about how incredibly fast and complex Google is making online recruitment. Here's the catch. Most HR staffs are burdened with too many administrative tasks to become Google-centric and employee-centric. The technology speed of improvement is way beyond what our HR counterparts are dealing with inside of most human resource departments. And why does this need to happen soon? Well, one, we talked about the talent marketplace, and two, we talk about the reality that most employees and this is everywhere in the, you could Google this and, and really it depends on the source, but more than 65% of any workforce anywhere is somewhat disengaged with their career paths, making them quite unproductive and increasingly stressful. LinkedIn has a worksheet that's readily available that helps you validate and quantify what the unproductiveness of a workforce costs you in hard dollars. And for the employees, they're increasingly stressed. There hasn't been any real effective concentration being put on the mental well-beings of of employees. And so I had this crazy idea that if you wanted your organization to perform better and build uh, um, an employee culture that gives your recruiters something that they could um, recruit for, Maybe you should start taking care of the organisms that work inside of the organization. And I feel so strongly about this and helping people improve their mental health well-beings that I started LifeWork Integration. And LifeWork Integration eliminates the need for HR and recruiters to solve the problem. My strategy is simple. I work with executives within organizations so that they sponsor this notion of giving individuals the skill sets that they could use to become better individuals in their lives. This isn't about work anymore. Work-life balance gave everyone a false impression that by keeping that, that seesaw, everyone gets the vision of a seesaw where work is on one side and life is on the other. But what it did was give everybody the notion that you have to keep it ultimately balanced. And that takes a lot of strain and a whole lot of stress. And what we know for certain is that any system, whether it's a bridge or a human body, is going to fail under stress. And the key here is that employers need to help their employees become better versions of themselves completely, not just as an employee. And so you could imagine what it was like for me when I came across Deloitte's Deloitte's Insights, which is a branch of Deloitte, the global consulting firm. They just released their 2019 Global Human Capital Trends Report. And if you don't have time to check out this 112-page document, in a couple of days it's going to hit keithcompagna.com. I'm going to summarize it, and I'll provide you uh, some good, good points that you could glance through. But Deloitte does an amazing job by introducing something called social enterprise. 
And spoiler alert, this is not some soft HR term that's reaching a little too much, trying to make things better by you know, supplying millennial slippers and everybody beanbags at their desks. The truth of the matter is that there is a massive need for people to, for organizations to apply red carpet treatment to the people that they count on to take their companies to the future or they're simply not going to have any place to work in the future. And so the effective reinvention required, and, and here's something that comes from the report, effective reinvention requires a culture that supports continuous learning, incentives that motivate people to take advantage of learning opportunities, and a focus on helping individuals identify and develop new and needed skills. And now I ask the audience, if you want to call in, go for it. The number again is 561-623-9429. If you have any questions about this topic, allow me to kick the door open and bring Noel and Henry on to the show. I couldn't be more excited to bring them on from the Revolution School. The reality is, is that if HR wants to teach these new tricks and these new trends, they're going to have to learn effective ways to teach. And if anybody has been paying attention, one of the challenges that we as a country face is a debilitating education process. And what the Revolution School seeks to develop are future leaders in ways that not only ignore most of the traditional education models, but the reason I needed to get Noel and Henry on the podcast was because under the surface, they are teaching in ways that 100% will become the standards for how organizations begin to teach their leaders. Let me just tell you a little bit about what I caught on their website. Today's students, they say, will face new opportunities and challenges that require entrepreneurial practices, critical thinking, and cross-cultural competencies. The question facing, facing our society is how best to prepare ourselves for the world as it is and as it will be. So last week, we went super deep on the technical elements of HR and recruiting and what you as HR leaders need to do to be able to figure out that part. But today, I want to introduce, let's make it human, let's make it real. Noel and Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Hey, thank you. Noel, uh, you get an extra credit uh, bonus today for making it off of a delayed airplane and being able to call in on time. Henry, so glad we got to meet, talk a little bit. Tell me, uh, maybe just give our, our listening audience a little bit of a backstory about what brought the two of you together at the Revolution School. Henry, Noel, who wants to go first? Noel, Henry, you first. tell that story, great. <laughs> uh, no problem, I'm happy to tell a story. Um, just for context, Noel always gets extra credit um, that's, that's the spirit of a teacher. She's, she's pretty good at that. Um, so, you know, I, I spent the last three years at Girard College, a full scholarship independent boarding school in Philadelphia as the vice president for institutional advancement and enrollment management. Part of that job had me trying to really figure out ways to innovate in a 170-year-old school. Uh, you know, so Girard's been around for 170 years, founded by Stephen Girard, who, uh, started a school for orphan white males back in 1831. It took them about 17 years to build the campus. They opened their doors in 1848. And uh, 170 years after that, Noel and I got to spend some time talking about summer programming, and um, she had some really, really innovative ideas on how to partner and, and 
you know, Noel's really brilliant that way. So I was excited to to talk to her about some some ideas. And at the same time, I was thinking about some summer programming as well. Um, as true with the Revolution Project, there's cups of coffee that happened, and I got invited to a cup of coffee that turned into a, really a recruit a recruitment process. You talk about HR, you you get people that are good at recruiting, that'll that'll help. And so, uh, so Noel invited me to a cup of coffee and, and really unpacked this really exciting project that they were working on, which was ultimately a school that would innovate and in, in, a, in a you know in a market that hasn't seen a ton of that in the education space. And so, I was super super intrigued by what she was talking about and strategically thinking about ways to partner Gerard College and, and Revolution at that time, Revolution Project. And uh, so, one thing led to another. And uh, we, we kind of piloted some of our work together uh, with a program called Dreams at Girard. So we partnered the Philadelphia School with Girard College. Uh, you know, the core of that program was around diversity. So Dream stands for Diversity, Resilience, Engineering, English, Arts, Math, and Science. Uh, Noel was really the architect around the immersion program, which had the kids go away for a week. And we got to really kind of test some of our theories and conversations and practice, which was unbelievable. And, uh, and that cup of coffee extended, and we ultimately ended up figuring out a way to, to collaborate, partner, and, and, and bring a new innovative school to market. And so that's what we've been doing over the last year. Um, I've, I've come to you know, know Noel as a, as a pre- pretty brilliant architect behind the, the program that we're, we're setting up for our students. And I'm not going to steal her thunder because she, she drew it up, and, and I've just been so happy to, to be able to tell a story and recruit some of the families and their folks to get excited about what we're doing. Very nice. Very nice. So, Noelle, the old uh, cup of coffee technique, huh? Come in here. <laughs> nice, and, nice and peaceful. What got you thinking that Philadelphia needed a change in their education system? So I've been teaching in Philadelphia for 20 years now. I started in public schools. That's really where my heart is. My own children brought me to independent schools. I did not expect to be there. Um, And it really, what it has meant is that I've now spent time in, um, in Philadelphia, we have magnet schools. So they're public schools kids can apply to. We have charter schools, we have neighborhood schools, and we have independent schools um, and parochial schools. My parochial time was spent in my childhood, um, but I've now spent time teaching in all of the other kinds of schools. And... um, when I landed at the Philadelphia School, which is the independent school I was at, um, where we really hatched the plan to build Revolution School, I had the opportunity to do some things really without the constraints of testing requirements and the kinds of things that the public schools are um, being confined by. And it became clearer and clearer that we needed a high school, a high school that went beyond teaching coursework and silos to really connecting what happens in schools to what happens in the world. Um, I really believe that if, if we continue to keep everything segmented and really embedded in academics, then when young people graduate from high schools and universities, they know they don't have the skills they need to think in terms of systems, to connect across cultures, across space and geography, and to really create the kind of work environments that they want. And when we talk about empowering students, what we're really talking about is giving them options, allowing them to create their own paths and then to follow them with purpose. And so 
we went to work building it with uh, the support of an incredibly generous woman. Her name is Gina Moore, who has really been behind us and working hard to make sure we have the funding to uh, get started. Yes, yes, and there's those parallels in the in the, the what I'll call the real business world, right? You've got to have the financier, you've got to have the executives, you have to have the vision, and that enables you to move forward in the direction that you want to. Now, let me ask you this: you you, you mentioned how you you draw comparisons to the let's call it the traditional sense of education. Philadelphia has a lot of school options for the students that live within the region. What is it that you see being those, those skill sets that enables a student at the Revolution School or maybe just what the program of the Revolution School offers that's going to give them those tools that maybe their counterparts at other schools simply aren't being taught today? Yeah, you know, if you I mean, think could... about a tip. Oh, go ahead, Tony. No, I was just going to jump in. You know, I'm... I'm very close to our work right now is the recruitment of our founding students. And, you know, one of the things that I've been really proud, we've been really proud to announce is that, you know, we have as many students as zip codes at this stage. Um, and so, you know, we talk about cultural competence and making sure students are coming from different places and spaces with varied perspectives on the world um, is really, really important. So that, that was part of um, our, our recruitment strategy. We're intentional and thoughtful about it, but, um, you know, in the core of our work is that, you know, socioeconomic diversity and uh, geographic diversity and, and, you know, all diversity in all forms. Um, so that was super, super important to, to, to one of the things that we were able to, to accomplish in this, in this founding year. Nice. Very nice. And, that, you know, Henry, you do a really great job of describing um, the way we balance the academic work and the real world work. Um, when you use the basketball metaphor, I wonder if you want to share that. I'd, I'd love to. Um, you know, one of the things that, that happens when, when you're in, in, in our area, you know, we have schools that have been around for 50, 100, 200, 300 years in some instances. And if you're trying to convince folks to take a look at something different, then you have to make it so that folks really understand, you know, what you're doing. And so I had a chance to sit down with a uh, an interested observer of our work, and he said, listen, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy about, you know, this new innovative school that you guys are, are bringing forth, but, you know, I really want to make sure that the core content is being taught. Uh, he happened to play basketball in college. I played basketball in college at Drexel University. Shout out to Drexel. He played at William & Mary. No shout out to William & Mary. Um, but, we, you know, we, 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 got on, we, got, we, we got on even even footing there. No, they're two awesome schools. We got on, a two, we got on a, to, to even footing there. And, and really what I want to do is, is kind of meet him where he was. And, mm-hmm. and the best analogy I could come up with is that, you know, when, when you're talking about, you know, preparing students for what's to come in the future, you know, and you look at a game like basketball, you could take any sport, but, you know, use basketball for, for this, you know, for this analogy. I said to him, I said, look, the reason we got good at the game is because we did a good, a good amount of practice in, around skilling and drilling, right? And that, for us, in, at Revolution School, is, is that core content. So I would take my basketball to the playground, and I'd dribble for a half an hour, 45 minutes, and, and then I'd shoot the ball, and I'd shoot, you know, 20 shots, uh, per spot, seven spots on the floor. And, and so that was my skill in drilling, the core content. But, you know, what I told him, I said, the, the, the air never stole the ball from us. The, uh, I, never, I never got my shot blocked by the air. 
So there was no, you know, there was no competition. There was nothing relevant happening so that it was a real game live situation. And so, so what I had, what I had to do and what he had to do was we would go back to the court around four o'clock. This is when, you know, folks came and, and wanted to compete and play. And we would take the skilling and drilling that we did and we compete against live bodies that would steal a ball and knock you down and, and, and that kind of a thing. What's brilliant about what, what's happened with Revolution School is if you look at our schedule, you, took, you take Tuesday and Thursday and our kids are at the site of their learning, they're in it, and they're in it with their teachers. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're actual, actually in the projects. And then on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they're in the skilling and drilling and, and getting that core content. And so you look at that, you know, that, that five-day schedule, 40% of the week, the kids are, are, are in relevant work. And so when, when, you know, when work becomes relevant for students, that's, you know, it, it starts to take meaning, and they get really, really excited about it, and, uh, and, you, and you can take some deeper dives. I think that's a, a big part of the brilliance in, in, in what we're doing. And, and so it, it made sense for him. I think it was lyrics that he, you know, he could dance to a little bit and he got really excited and, and said, man, I can't wait to see this in action. So what I want to do now is almost take push pause here. I'm curious to find out. I know that the two of you have been ultra busy building up the school, getting enrollments, doing uh, literally everything that needs to be done. I want to ask you both. Are any of you at all aware about what's happening inside of corporate America, whether it, and when I say corporate, it doesn't have to be a for-profit organization, but are you at all dialed into in terms of what companies and businesses are struggling to do within their organizations? And it's okay if you say no. Well, we are, you know, I mentioned Gina earlier. Gina um, was most excited about her work with us continues to be excited because she really believes that what we talk about teaching, um, those are the challenges that um, her company and other companies are facing. And so she talks about um, the change in the demands of employees, uh, which you mentioned, right, drive motivation. Yeah. She talks about uh, communication and really creating a culture that is transparent and collaborative and that, that really bucks the old hierarchical system and um, the need to be creative um, in teams. And so as we work on our work for Revolution School, Revolution Project has been um, continuing to grow and um, sort of reach out into – uh, the corporate world in Philadelphia in order to see where we can't find overlap between what we're teaching and what corporations and companies are really looking for. Gina's been on a speaking tour. Uh, she's been invited a number of times as a, uh, a powerful female leader in Philadelphia and speaks to those things quite a bit, actually. And we're, we're actually coming up on the break in a few minutes here, but I, I just want to share with you that the prime that you're spot on, and, and this is the part that I really want to see how our listeners take to it and the feedback that we get, because every, uh, you know, I've, I've been inside uh, as a fly on the wall in over a thousand companies and big, small, doesn't matter the industry. And the truth of the matter is, is that because we have this massive shift from an employer uh, focus to an employee focus, companies everywhere are quite literally out of their comfort zone, most of them. 
the far majority of them are not in a position where they can quite literally do the things that you're doing at the revolution school. And when we come back from the break, I want to go back to the, to the concepts that you're putting, because my understanding is that rumor has started to spread and, and maybe Noel, when we come back from the break, you could, you could kick off with this, but the, the rumors are starting to spread that you have the secret sauce that will help any organization that's willing to provide leaders the capabilities of of teaching people in ways like Henry mentioned that have the skills and drills. Because what I hear are the kind of things that uh, my buddy Torin Ellis, who is a diversity uh, speaker, and he's out there trying to get people to understand that if you open up your eyes and your mind a little bit wider, there is a plethora of individuals that you could bring into your organization. You talk about transparency. We deal with the millennial scenario, and when I say the millennial scenario, what I'm really referring to is how poorly positioned existing HR infrastructures are to be able to accommodate to what is the largest workforce demographic available and for the next few years. And then we're also talking about cross-training. The idea that somebody comes to work and spends 20 years or more doing the same thing is as behind us as possible. You know, the, the technology has influenced the way that all of every, everybody integrates ideas and the millennials have demonstrated that if you don't give them something new to do, they're going to seek out other places to find it. And it always goes back to how we as a society can evolve so that people can work in dynamic ways, in passionate ways, and really become true contributors to what it is that they feel they could do with their careers and their lives. And so maybe now is a good time to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Revolution School, the Revolution Project. And uh, again, if you want to call in, the number is 561-623-9429. You are listening to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization show. I'm Keith Campagna. Ira Wolf is somewhere in Las Vegas tracking down HR thought leaders. We'll be back in a few minutes. Behind everything you're searching for is something you're actually looking for. When you search with the real Yellow Pages, you get more than a contractor. You get a whole new curb appeal. It's not just getting directions to a dry cleaner with YP.com. It's rescuing an old favorite from the back of the closet. And it's more than finding a locksmith with YP.com on your mobile. It's getting to sleep in your own bed. Whatever it might be, there are more ways to search and more ways to find exactly what you're looking for with the real Yellow Pages, YP.com, and YP.com on your mobile, only from AT&T. What's up, everyone? This is Keith from the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, powered by Jobvite. Jobvite knows career paths are made by people, not by open job requisitions. Jobvite's platform ties recruitment marketing directly to applicant tracking and onboarding, creating continuous candidate engagement that effectively connects recruiters with qualified passive candidates. Used by over 50,000 recruiters placing over 1 million jobs, Jobvite's platform impacts every company in every industry. Check us out at jobvite.com. Listen carefully. Up to 9 out of 10 job candidates visiting your company career page leave before completing an application. You heard that right. 90% of candidates who want to apply for a job at your company don't. That's just plain crazy, especially in today's tight labor market. Candidate experience matters. Stop turning candidates away. 
Let Success Performance Solutions help. Call us at 800-803-4303 or register at successperformancesolutions.com slash W4CY. Schedule a no-obligation consultation and get special access to insider tips to recruit faster and hire smarter. Welcome back, everybody, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization show. I am your host and co-host, Keith Compagna. Ira is out in Las Vegas at the Society for Human Resources Management largest event, SHRM 2019. So I'm talking today with Henry Fairfax and Noel Kellick, and we're talking about the future of work, but specifically, we're talking about preparing people, children, students, and adults how they can cross-train, and as Henry put it, we're talking about how providing skills and drills makes them a better player on the court. It's not just what you do when you show up at work. It's how you can get better. Noel, some of the things we talked about uh, earlier had to do with the idea of teaching the teachers. Um, The Revolution School is the main project, but it seems like there's something that came from that, the Revolution Project. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Absolutely. So uh, what we really imagine is a a transformation of the way we think about education. So, you know, you talk about how slowly HR is moving. Um, Schools are tied with prisons and churches for their movement and progression. So we spent a lot of time really thinking about what was needed in in the world at large and certainly the work world. And what was happening in schools and tried to figure out where the overlap happened. We wound up breaking, we used to call about, we used to call the skills that weren't academics, soft skills. We think of them much more as power skills, but we wanted to break those down into categories so that people really saw what the sub skills were. So with, as the Revolution Project and school, we identify three major categories of skills entrepreneurial mindset, cultural competencies, and systems thinking. These are really important for a few reasons. One, they transcend, they transcend communities, they transcend schools, they transcend geography. In an interconnected world, we need to be able to speak across groups, but it's even more than that. We know from you know, writers like David Epstein of the book Range, um, which has recently come out, that, and that when we put diverse minds on wicked problems, problems that don't have constraints, which are the kinds of challenges that we're encountering right now, that the more diversity in the room, the more different kind of thinkers in the space, the more likely to come up with an idea that's different from what has already been done And so that's where we start to see the cultivation of entrepreneurial mindsets. Entrepreneurial mindsets gives us a chance to reinvent. And really, and this is is an intense difference from the conventional model of schooling that almost everyone um, has encountered, which is that we have been trained to take tests where there's a person in the room who has all of the right answers and then lets us know when we're hot, when we're cold, and when we're... Um, on our way, and 
those are not the kinds of challenges that we are encountering in the world today. And so entrepreneurial mindset is a set of skills that allows us to grapple with that feeling of the unknown, the feeling of having to take some risks when you don't have all of the information and aren't sure how it will go and to really think in terms of problem solving. And then systems thinking does what any expert in any field knows is key to developing expertise, which is taking what we see on the surface and digging deeper so that we understand we use the model of the iceberg often to think of this, but it's really to dig underneath and understand the mass of systems, the, the codes, the cultural expectations, the economic forces that are creating what we see on the tip of the iceberg. So I think there's some key things that, that really counter what some people think about what learning is. So in the traditional school model, your goal as a teacher is to teach your content at the high school level. That isn't true in earlier grades. In earlier grades, when we talk about elementary schools, kids are, teachers are taught to teach the whole child. But the way our high school model has been broken into disciplines means that you're teaching content. And the challenge with that is that you don't get to teaching the skills that are really about the connections between content. So um, a key thing that we know now with, uh, we've got something like 75 years of cumulative experience in education, plus another 45 coming on board in two weeks when our faculty join us. We know that you can teach all sorts of skills, including collaboration, including culture building, including, you know, teaching people that to grapple with the emotional uncertainty that comes with taking some risks, pushing envelopes, questioning, and that's the kind of work that we know will pay off in schools and in the corporate world. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, as Noelle was talking, I I was thinking a little bit about our recruitment process, you know, in, in terms of identifying both teachers and students, but I'll speak to the student part of that. Um, you know, there's often, you know, when you look at colleges and universities, they look they look at the SAT or the ACT and the independent schools as the secondary school achievement test, which is the SSAT or the ISEE, the independent school entrance examination. And these tests create all kinds of anxiety for students and families. And so when we sat down as a team, we, we, we decided to make the test, the standardized test, optional. Um, and what we play, put in place of that is something called the Personal Experience Project. And what we're really trying to do is, you know, articulate to our prospective families that we understand students are more than a test score and to be able to identify students that would, that would do really well in, in the kind of uh, learning environment that, that, we, that we were creating. Um, and we saw some unbelievable results. And it, it, it really, I think, differentiated our process from a recruitment standpoint and, and, and allowed us to, to know our students a little better walking into the door. So when I think about recruitment, you know, processes, you, you know, you want to take a look at that area and say, you know, what, what are the things that we're doing that, that are going to make us unique and, and give us the ability to, to identify students that are a good match and a good fit. And when you're, you know, when you're recruiting, when you're recruiting, I don't care what level you're recruiting at, it really does come down to that. It comes down to the right match and the right fit. Uh, we saw students do things that they had not done 
in their academic careers prior to their engagement with our with our process. Uh, we had a student doing animation on border crossing. We had a student start a business and try to add a third product to 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 our to our sales. Uh, you know, so we saw so many awesome awesome projects, and and it really illuminated and and, and liberated some of the some of the minds that were you know might, may have been trapped otherwise if they had not had an opportunity to engage our process. I'm so excited to see how this turns out because you're just you're literally describing future leaders that can walk into almost any scenario. I mean, maybe almost maybe almost is the wrong word. They'll be able to or at a minimum have the experience to take on a challenge to become much more comfortable in the environment that might have some stress to it, that might have some unknowns to it, and might require risk-taking. And when I, when I think about that, recognizing just how challenging that is in today's world for somebody to walk into an organization and do those things because the environment um, it is not conducive to that. But we all know that in, in today's modern, you know, hodgepodge of the way business works and people work, the time now is to take risks. The time now is to get out of your comfort zone. And so it sounds like you are at the base, you are the base level of the, of educating students to become adults in, a, in an adult world and you're getting them started off early. It's just it's it's fantastic to hear, and I love the fact that you have recruitment. You you know you're 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 running and considering your students just like the way organizations that understand these elements are doing it today. I'm wondering if there's some sort of connectivity with some of the best of breed um, employers you have there for for you know job placements, but I guess that might be for another day. Um, Noel, let me ask you this. Uh, as a career sales guy, I've come to fall in love with three questions. I have my three favorite questions. My first favorite question is why. My second favorite question is what did we learn? And my third favorite question is how can I help? So as you've gone through these last couple months, building out the vision, building it out, and Henry, you've been, uh, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on this too. What's something that you've learned that you might not have been expecting to learn? Um, I can tell you that easily. For us, we started out with a really clear vision, and that has stuck all the way from the very beginning to three years later as we prepare ourselves for opening the school. And the way we approached building the program was I would do some design, and then we would gather a talented, diverse group of people together, and we'd put it, we'd set that product in front of them, and we'd say, break it. And that was repeated over and over and continues really um, to be repeated over and over. And recently, as we were going through our licensing process at the state level, I had this moment where I was reflecting on where we were a year and a half ago. And there are so many things that we have figured out because someone challenged us and instead of being defensive, or certain we were right, we went, sat back and went, hmm, hmm, <laughs> what do we do with that? And we um, listened to feedback that initially we wanted to resist. And, you know, in our, 
our small team, we have challenged each other and pushed each other. And what is emerging is clarity that never could have happened without that kind of openness to challenging ideas. Um, and it is one of the keys to what I believe will be a culture of growth mindset and really a culture of thinking uh, at Revolution School. So nurturing that and, and holding on to that as we launch will be one of the pieces of my work and something that I will work very hard to preserve. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, the idea that you could walk into a work environment and not be upset about not having all the answers, but collaborate and become more creative as a unit and as, as compared to having to carry the load. I mean, it, it's, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Henry, what is it that you've learned these last couple, uh, this last year or so? I've learned a ton. I mean, I think the, the thing that jumps out at me as I reflect on my experience in, in this launch year is, is you have to have courage. You have to have the courage to break things responsibly around uh, a mission that, that, that is a passion point and around work that is, uh, that's vital to, you know, securing our future um, of our students. And, and, and I think that's super, super important. When I say break things responsibly, um, in order to do that, you have to have an unbelievable team. I've learned that leadership is, is really no longer about being in the ivory tower and kind of directing traffic, right? Leadership is about collaborating, having a growth mindset, thinking flexibly, understanding with empathy, uh, and, and, and all of those, you know, those skills, habits, and dispositions that don't happen simply in an ivory tower. I think that's super, super important. But, you know, I think the resonant thing for me is just, you know, here we, here we, here we stand today, a year after our getting together August 1st, almost a year, and, uh, and we've broken some stuff. I think we've done it responsibly. I think we've, you know, figured out a way to create conditions of trust um, you know, amongst the team by pushing, you know, pushing each other and, and out of our comfort zones. And, and I just, I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, that you, that you can, you can have a really, really uh, deep learning experience if you don't have those, those kinds of uh, things happening, you know, in, in, in your, you know, in your space. And so that, that's been, that's been an amazing, you know, journey for me. And I think uh, for our team and, I, and it sets up well, um, for our students and our families that are observing and watching what we're doing and the folks that have been interested observers in our work. If you want to have a sense of a personal experience project, I just ruminated about this last week, just take a look at what we've done as a team, right? We've, uh, we've, mm -hmm. we've, pushed, we've pushed the envelope, and, and I think, you know, this is really a, a perfect example of, you know, personal experience project at, a, at an organizational level. Well, you know, you just with that answer, you just had me thinking of a bunch of questions that could easily lead us to another hour or at least 50 minutes of this conversation. But um, before we run out of time, do you mind? Because I've got one last question I want to ask you based off of what I just heard. But do you mind share with the audience how they could how someone might be able to get in touch with you, whether or not they want to learn about enrollment if they're in the Philadelphia area or maybe just, you know, pick your brain about how you can help develop and teach so that people can apply these processes internally to their to their company. Henry, how can somebody touch base with, with maybe the two of you or the team? Easy for us. Uh, so we're, we're, we're all about personal touch. Uh, email is, is, is fairly easy. We're pretty good and being responsive to email. My email address is henry 
at revolutionschool.org. Noel is just Noel at revolutionschool.org. So just first name at revolutionschool.org. Pretty easy to, to contact us that way. And our, and our website is pretty dynamic and vibrant. So that's a good good way to interact with us and just kind of, um, you know, try us on for size. But uh, those email addresses are, are pretty good ways to, to contact us. And we're pretty, pretty great in giving back and being responsive. And uh, thank you for that. And uh, speaking of your website, Here's something here I wanted to read and, and, then, and then ask you a question. It says, when students are in charge of their education, it prepares them to be in charge of their lives. We trust them to know their strengths, drive their learning, and be active participants in their communities. By doing so, we empower them to take control of their futures and the future of the world. Noel, my question to you is, what's the feedback been like for the parents that are signing their children up? What are they saying to you in response to that magnificent vision of giving children power to let them know they can make a mistake and move on and still make the positive influence that they're looking to do in the world? You know, those who have signed on our early adopters are, are excited. I think most important, they're seeing their kids come to life. Um, one of our applicants has really been disengaged from schooling. It's doing well, but um, just hasn't been having an experience that's, that's resonating with him. And when he, his mom spoke with Henry um, at what we call our living room visit, where um, Henry or Henry and I visit with families to have our version of an interview and really a discussion for families to interview us, for us to interview families and get to know one, each, one another. Um, what we found out was that he came to us rather reluctantly, um, spent some time with us at what we call a program preview, which is our open house, and then went home and spent the entire night working on his personal expression project, which was a personal animation that connected his family's history with immigration um, to his own vision that what the world needs is love (laughs) um, and put it together um, as an animation for us as his personal expression project. We're hearing over and over the kind of enthusiasm and excitement that we know will turn into kids bringing their back and doing their best and parents see that and they feel that and they're excited to be part of it with us fantastic so in in an age where you see grown-ups trying to find a place where they can do the kind of passionate work that you just described from somebody who wasn't even correct me if i'm wrong wasn't even accepted into the program as of yet, he right? was ultimately right. He was yeah. ultimately well. Why not? Right? Because you want to you want to have that individual representing your vision, and uh, absolutely. it seems absolutely fantastic. So, uh, Henry, good. I was only I was only chuckling because uh, in a lot of instances the parents have said, "Can I can I go to your school?" Um, <laughs> we've, we've got we've gotten that one too. So I, I think that's a pretty good response to our vision and mission. Fantastic. Well, I absolutely thank the two of you for taking time out of your very busy schedules, joining me here on the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show where we're talking about the future of work here. And I, as you know, it sounds silly for me to say, but it seems like it's not always um, 
something that's in the front of everyone's mind, and that is the future of work includes the students of today. And it, as it turns out, when we were all younger students, or maybe most of us were younger students, we knew what good was, and we felt positive about making a change. And having the kind of tools and support that the, the Revolution School is offering you know, makes it seem like there's a, you know, you're, you're, you're making the future look even better. So I, I want to thank the two of you very much for coming on the show and, and remind the audience that, yeah, we've been using words like children and school, but what we're really talking about here isn't the effective f- blueprint of the future as it relates to providing your employees a place where they could thrive in. And, you know, Peter Drucker is known as being the the, the, the father of modern ma- uh, management, he was also very well known for, for not accepting the term consultant. He preferred being called an insultant. And the reason why is because he would walk into board meetings. And if you don't know Peter Drucker well enough, then certainly look him up. But he's the person that mentored people like Jack Welsh. And he was the person behind governments during the 50s and 60s and really changing the way that management viewed their labor force. And what he said famously was that it is exclusively the responsibility of the executives to provide their employees a place where they can thrive in whatever endeavor is put in front of them. And what I heard today was best practices for recruitment, best practices for diversity, best practices for transparency, best practices for accepting uh, vulnerabilities, taking risks, and knowing that if a team works together creatively, collaboratively, they're going to have success. So I hope that this 50 minutes was of value to you, the listening audience. Tune in next week. I'm going to be back sitting next to Ira Wolf. We're going to be talking about some of the crazy things and not so crazy things that came out of Sherm 2019. I know we've got a boatload of unbelievably uh, passionate thought leaders coming onto the show. So I want to say on behalf of Ira Wolf, thanks again for listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. Let us know if you're interested in sponsoring or coming on the show. You could check my LinkedIn profile out or Ira's, Ira Wolf's, W-O-L-F-E. And for now, don't let the shift hit your plan. <laughs>